Well, hey, everybody. It is time to club another book. I don't think I have clubbed a book since, uh, like, Harry Potter. Oh, I actually haven't clubbed a book since uh, The the Toll by Neil Shusterman. That was the Ark of the Scythe, book number three. That was a weird one. Anyway, let's get into it. I'm your host, Dean Grum. This is a special episode of Book Clubbing. gotta start off by saying that my wife hates that I pick a book and just club it to death like a baby seal. She was like, you know what book club is supposed to be something that like you like and that you create a book club around it to where you could all read it together and I'm, <laughs> no, that's not how I operate here. I want to, I believe that anyone could find anything about a book that they dislike and it's kind of fun. And you just get to kind of tear apart the book uh, because what can the author say? He already wrote it down. He, they're not going to come after you. He, that was sexist. They could write it down. And like They already wrote it down. They can't come after you. So what book did I actually pick this go around? I'm going to bash on this book so hard for so many reasons. But uh, one is I was walking out of church, uh, my church, Sunday, um, three three weeks ago, something like that, and on this table, this book was sitting there. Turns out this is what we were teaching to our new church members, and that kind of upset me. It got me. Uh, it got me going. It was because I was like, "Why aren't we rolling this out universally to the entire church? Why is it just our new members?" Because uh, you'll find out. Some of the stuff that I discuss in here, I think it's absolutely like shallow. It's demeaning. It's uh, Oh, man, it makes me frustrated. But so uh, it's called I Am a Church Member, and it is by Thomas Tom, Tom S, Tom spelled T-H-O-M, Tom S. Rayner. So uh, it's a tiny little book. It's like 77 pages. Um, I would say it's probably around like 10, maybe 13,000 words. Uh, it's a tiny book, and I'll tell you, I hate every single minute of it. Um. So let's start with uh, judging a book by its cover. I am looking at the cover, and it is, oh, it's so diverse and so inclusive. Nope, that's a lie. There are, it's about 50% female, 50% male. There's like one Asian dude and like two black dudes on the entire thing. Like, that's it. So I am a church member. <laughs> it makes me think of, uh, what was that comedian, late night host? show whatever um he wrote a book it was called uh, i am america and so can you <laughs> so i am a church member and so can you and like it's not even really like a like a big like teaching book i guess like a like a workbook um it's just i don't know a quick read that i think is supposed to encourage people to be more active in their church and one of the things i immediately get upset about is like this book like define a church member uh, like i am a church member so this is so petty and so narrow minded it's not talking about how we are a member of like the body of christ like the the over Overwhelming, like worldwide, like planet-wide church, the Christian church. All it's talking about is like, I am a member inside 
this building of people that meet. Like, that's it. Like, and that, number one, right off the bat, that pisses me off. Like, the, the way this book just, uh, the examples that they pick, the stories that he tells, they're all so petty and childish. And, I mean, chapter one, I will be a functioning church member. Okay. Like, uh, he he starts this thing, uh, okay. It was a big deal for this young boy living in the small southern town. I didn't know what a country club was. It, church is not a country club. And the end. Like, that's his, that's his lesson. That's his whole kind of statement summed up for this entire chapter. Church is not a country club. And, but I began to learn a lesson. Membership has means perks. Membership means privileges. Membership means others will serve me. Just pay the going rate, and you could have others taking care of you while you enjoy a life of leisure. leisure, leisure. And tragically, this understanding of membership is what many church members hold. This is my church. You have to play the music just the way I want. Look, pastor, you need to remember who pays your salary. If you don't do this program, I'll withhold my check to the church. I've been a member of this church for over 30 years, so I have a right to get what I want. I don't pay good money to this church to listen to sermons that long. Like, okay, you get the picture. I'm quoting directly from the book, by the way. Uh, page 10. So, uh, highlighted this. Those unfortunate, typical comments come from members of churches who have an unbiblical view of membership. Yeah. The, why is this being taught to new members? I'm just going to put that right there. You're you're going off about this about current members who have been members of the church forever, but but you're teaching this. This book is geared and designed for new church members. Why are you not correcting their attitudes, these older church members? Why are you not addressing them? Instead, you're going after the 20-year-old, the 30-year-old, whatever that just joined your church. And be like, hey, sit through our new membership class. Here's a book. Don't act like all the other old people in this church who have garbage attitudes. We don't want you to have that attitude. Fix them. Go fix the problem. Are you just fixing the next generation? You're just setting up the next generation? Well, well, that's not enough. As churches, you should not be accepting this. If your people are a bunch of jackasses... Stop it. Go directly to them. Don't teach these lessons to your new up-and-coming members. They joined. Woo! And this is garbage, right? So he goes on to say, so what does the Bible say about church membership? I'm glad you asked. I certainly did not ask. I didn't. Not in any way, shape, or form. <sighs> Now it goes on, membership means we are a necessary part of the whole, except he doesn't talk about the whole. All he talks about is this one tiny building filled with one tiny group of people. How many? Like seven, eight billion people in the world? And he's talking to each church individually of what, maybe 300? That's that's not the whole. That. That's not even close. That's so shallow and so petty 
that you're focusing on this is me inside of this building. That's not the church. And I get where you're a try. I get what you're trying to accomplish with this book. I do. But no, it doesn't make any sense that you would go this route and put this towards new members. This book is designed for new members. You're not doing you get cut out that toxicity, change the hearts and minds of those older generation that are just horrible people that I'll withhold my check. Get out. Get out or get better. But no, you're going to go after the new members. Sweet. Un inappropriate, right? I don't know. What else did I highlight through this thing? Chapter 1, page 14. We are not to love fellow church members just because they are lovable. We are to love the unlovable as well. We are not to pray for and encourage our pastors just when they are doing things we like. We are to pray for pray for and encourage them when they do things we don't like. Pump the brakes. What's that pastor doing that you don't like? Is he cheating on his wife? Because I'm not just going to sit there and encourage and pray for my pastor to stop cheating on his wife. That's where are you going with this? And we are not to love fellow members just because they are lovable. We are to love the unlovable as well. So this member in the church, he's sitting there and he's spouting his, I don't know, racist garbage, something. I'm, I know I'm taking it to the 10, okay? 11, turn it up to 11. I'm taking it to the farthest extremes. But like, what does this mean? I feel like you were telling members to shut up, stop complaining, love harder. What? Like codependent much? Like no, love, love your abuser. Like, what does this mean? How come you're not saying, why don't you go to that unlovable person and tell them that like, Hey, you're, you're not being very, you're not a Christian. You're, you're not kind. You're not loving. You're not compassionate. You're, you're not compassionate. You're not like, you're, you're a dick. Can you tell a church member that? Cause if someone's acting like a dick, I'm going to tell you you're acting like a dick. That's pretty straightforward. Maybe they need to hear that. I get it. You're not supposed to say it unless you can come from a place of love. Well, guess what? Look where that's got us. Where has that got us over the last, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years? The church is in decline. Uh, sin, violence, rampant, everything. And the church is supposed to stand out and step up. But... Oh, yeah, just un the, uh, love the unlovable. Yeah, it's not their fault. It's your fault. You're not loving them hard enough inside the church new members. <sighs> I get it. I get where you were going with this book. I do. I need to say that again and again and again. But this is horrible. It's This is not the right way to go through this. And this is not the that your target audience is not your new members. Just love the unlovable people in your church as well, rather than getting them to be corrected and to go to them and tell them that they need to change their hearts and minds. No, no, no. New people, you need to change yours because they're responsible that you're responsible for their actions. That's stupid. <sighs> See, church membership is functioning membership 
Uh, oh, this was good. Right? Still on page 14. Do you know how to remain a biblical member of a church? Do you know how? Because he's going to tell you. Summed up in one, one sentence. Give abundantly and serve without hesitation. Here's why I think that's stupid. Okay. It's mainly the serve without hesitation. All right. Now, yes, I tithe. Everyone should tithe. I don't know what. Give abundantly. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. He doesn't clarify that. But he really goes like serve without hesitation. So what? So I have absolutely no uh, biblical ability or uh, sorry, musical ability. (laughs) Maybe I should edit that out. I have no biblical ability. I have no musical ability at all. Should I be up there playing bass? No. Is that serving without hesitation? I get asked, hey, I need you to do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm horrible at it. But yeah, let me get up there and do it. Uh, math is not my strong suit. So yeah, why don't I go uh, balance the church books? No, that's stupid. Serve without hesitation, though. Like, what does that mean? And then he goes on to say, page 15, like, you can even be a revered member in a number of churches by giving a nice sum to the church every year, even though you never lift a finger in service or ministry. Now, I know that he's saying he's anti that, right? What he's saying is that person is a revered member, could be a revered member in a number of churches all across the country, as long as you just give money and you tithe. So take it a step finger, though, even though you never lift a finger in service or ministry. Now, uh, I did. Uh, I've read another book. It was called. Um, oh, man, uh, it was a story of the monk and the merchant. I'm sorry. I don't remember who it was by, but it's a fascinating breakdown between uh, two people, like two friends, whatever. I mean, it's fake, whatever. Two two people. Uh, one goes into the priesthood. And like is building a church from like a biblical standpoint. And then the other one is actually he goes into business and now he's tithing and paying for the church, the expansion, the buildings, the the outreach, the missions, everything. And so the church looks down on people that are, I mean, mainly in business, whatever, because it's like, well, you're not a priest. You're not a preacher. You're not a pastor. You're not a leader. So you're just the flock. And yet that priest, preacher, flock, sorry, the church, whatever, like the building, everything, that does not exist without the flock bringing in financial support. So there are people who fund the church. And that may be God's calling on them to fund the church. And that church is growing. So it, the, the two are equal. They're, they're, one's not better than the other. One is, I save souls. Well, the only reason you get to save a soul is because I pay you. I pay for your outreach. I pay for missions. I pay for all of it. Like We, as, a, as money earner, wage earners, contribute to the church financially and that allows growth so they're not they're equal okay but this is saying like you could even be a revered member uh, of the church whatever even though you never lift a finger in service or ministry guess what giving money may be your ministry i don't know if god has blessed your business and you tithe 40 percent. you may give 90 percent and 
uh, to to charitable organizations, outreaches, and you keep 10%. And I don't know, you may make $10 million a year, and you may give $5 million of it to the church. I don't know what your position is. Maybe not everybody. Maybe some people. I don't know. But are you going to tell me that that person, that is their ministry? That that That's a ministry. Why, why is it not? Why is it that you're considering because you're not a uh, serving in the church, uh, like doing what? Cutting grass? What what about the guy that's giving, I don't know, $100,000 a year to the church, paying for that landscaper, whatever? Just, it's an example. I don't know. I'm, I hate this book. All right, let's roll over to page 16. Um, so it does go on to say, of course, the foot, the hand, the ear, the eye. If you're if you're in the church, you know that it's like the body of the church, the body of Christ. Not everybody's the same. There are some people that, you know, that everyone has a different thing that they could do and how they could serve. And he goes on to say that the fact that there are is so much diversity in our church is our strength. Everyone has a function. Everyone should be functioning. Everyone should have a role. What does that mean? Because he doesn't go on to explain it. What do you mean everyone should have a role? Like, what does that mean? Should I have like 37 uh, youth pastors? No, that's stupid. Should I have 18 greeters? Well, there's only four doors in and out of the building. So we need, we need 150 greeters. What does that mean? He never goes on to break this down. Yeah, some people's role is to contribute financially to the church. Why not? <sighs> so this book is actually full of pledges. One pledge ch per chapter, right? And so he goes on for the first pledge to kind of wrap up this first chapter. It's, it's hard to know for certain. Church membership roles are not always easy to research, and some churches just refuse to face reality. But by our best estimates, we think most church roles are overinflated by a factor of three. That's big, really big. What that means is, if your church has 300 members on its rolls, it probably only has 100 real biblical members. Only one-third are functioning members. Only one out of every three gives abundantly and serves without hesitation. I hate that statement, but okay. In fact, I bet many people will question our own numbers as being overstated. I do. Because I've seen it time and time again. 10% of the church does 80% of the workload. I get it. I get what he's saying. Everyone should have a role. Now, who are you directing this at again? Let's not lose that, that fact. This book is directed at new church members. Not the old church members. The new church members. And with this pledge, I, I go back to, again, like, you are to give, what is it? You are uh, committing to give cheerfully and abundantly. You are committing and serving and ministering without hesitation. I say you need to factor in what your uh, gifts, talents, skills, and abilities are. That's what I think. I don't, I don't think without hesitation. I don't think, I don't think these things are built for like everyone to do everything anywhere, anytime, any place. No, there are certain skills and abilities that like, okay, I could do electrical. 
okay, I could help out with the church and do electrical. Sure. What do you need? Oh, we need a light over here. Oh, we need programming with sound. Oh, we need we need a receptacle here. Well, that requires a permit. Okay. Well, hey, uh, my wife is a doctor, physical therapy. Should she be doing the uh, electrical? Should she just be going over there and just serving unquestionably? Un- How did he phrase it? Oh, gosh, I hate this guy. Without hesitation. No, 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 no. If you're not an electrician, don't touch that, please. But... But no, no, no. You should just serve unquestioningly. That's not what he said. That's not. Oh, man. Without hesitation. No, no, no. You should hesitate if things are outside your skills and abilities. And you know what? Uh, When you go to the church and you say, hey, uh, I'm overloaded. I'm drowning here. And what do they say? Oh, pray harder. Yeah, it's your fault. You're not serving without hesitation. You're no, 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 no. You're you're overloading. You're a volunteer church members uh you're you're volunteering for this this is it's a volunteer position and you've given me uh 110 of the workload here i'm burning i'm burning out no you're not praying hard enough that's inappropriate all these lessons all this should be directed at the entire church not just your new church members oh Man, so we go into chapter two, all right, page 21. Like I said, we're flying through this book, right? I will be a unifying church member. I like this one. Uh, I don't know, blah, blah, paragraph, paragraph. That thing uh, called unity. So I love team sports. I've been with uh, only average talented. Hold on, what do you say? I've seen teams with only average talent win championships. Don't get me wrong, talent is talent and gifted athletes are important but what is even more important is how those athletes work together Uh, unity is important unity is critical likewise when church members don't work together the church is weaker as a whole my analogy may be weak because the local church is much more important than any sports team okay two astronomically different things yeah your analogy is weak because we're talking about the hearts and souls and minds of humanity uh, and or a sports team who's, you know, in it for the profit. And that's entertainment. Yeah, your, your analogy is, is pretty weak. All right. Uh, he goes on in this chapter that you have a responsibility as a church member. You are to be a source of unity. You are never to be a divisive force. You are to love your fellow church members unconditionally. And while that doesn't mean you agree with everyone all the time, it does mean you are willing to sacrifice your own preferences to keep unity in the church. What does that mean? If it's just music, yeah, I agree with you. Shut up. Just sing the songs. Worship. Come on. It's too loud. You shouldn't have drums on the stage. Yeah, but once again... Who are we directing this book to? New members? New members. That's not cool. This needs to be directed at the entire church. And when I say church, I mean your entire congregation. Okay, because you're the one that limited the scope of this book to just a handful of people inside of a building. So I say it applies to everyone, not just the new people that join these. Oh, uh, 
Let's go, let's go, let's go. More and more and more. Page 25. He talks about, like, gossip and other negative talk. Uh, so, one of my friends who leads a well-known Christian organization told me that the prohibit... Pro, I can never say this word. They prohibit of gossip is actually spelled out in the employee policy manual. If an employee has a concern about another employee, he or she is supposed to take that concern directly to the employee. If, for any reason, the concern can't be presented directly, uh, the employee must go to his or her supervisor. Gossip is not tolerated, and an employee can even lose his job over it. Why? Because it tears down the unity in the organization. Uh, I think that if you fire someone for gossip, uh, you're going to have a wrongful termination lawsuit on your hands. Pretty sure, pretty sure free speech is free speech. You can, you can say and do things. Right. What what does this go on to? Second, if someone in the church begins to share gossip with you, gently rebuke him or her. You don't have to be harsh in your response to them. Kindly say that you would rather not hear any gossip and you would hope it wouldn't continue to spread. You can be a unifier in your church with those simple words. How about this? If you hear about a priest who's molesting children, you better call the cops. Don't just tell them, hey, don't share gossip. I would rather be kindly say that you would rather not hear any gossip and you would hope it wouldn't continue to spread. How about what is that gossip and do I need to call the cops? Maybe maybe this should uh, not be taught in the Catholic Church, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and call the cops. You should. <sighs> then that way, other church members will know that gossip is not tolerated in your church and the congregation will be a place of joy and unity. But there'll be like these seething things going on in your church that nobody's going to know about because we don't talk about it. And that's going to harbor resentment and the sin is just going to multiply in your ranks. And then your church will implode one day because your pastor is like cheating on someone. I don't know. But see, why don't we stop putting Band-Aids on cancer and start rooting out the evil inside the church, rooting out the sin? changing people's minds and hearts not just your new members <sighs> i love it he finished it off with love life see good days control your tongue stop the gossip be a unifier yeah okay um we're on page 26. He goes on to a chapter titled uh, Forgiveness and Unity. It was one of those experiences that seemed to come out of left field. I was a young man in the business world. My wife and I had joined a church that we loved. We loved the pastor and his preaching. We loved the fellowship. We loved the ministries of the church. My pastor mentioned in his sermon that he would be willing to meet with any men on Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. to pray for God's leadership in the church. He said he wasn't looking for a crowd, just a few men that wanted to make the commitment. I jumped at the opportunity. Those mornings are memories I covet to this day. I don't think you're supposed to covet. I get it that it's like how you mean it is in like a positive way, but I don't think you're supposed to covet. Anyway. Uh, more than three decades later, praying with godly men, a fellowship with the pastor I loved, seeing God really move in our lives. Then it happened. 
We began our prayer time with no words spoken aloud. We were taking time to talk to God before we verbalized our prayers for others to hear. But every time I tried to pray, my mind went back to high school years. Every time, the teacher's face would appear in my mind's eye. It was so strange, but I couldn't pray. You see, the, the teacher had physically abused me. I had kept the secret and told no one. I was ashamed, angry, and unforgiving. I realized what God was doing. If God was to use me as his instrument in the church, I had to forgive the teacher. <sighs> Listen, I'm sorry this happened to you. I am. I truly am. Okay. If this teacher did it to you, how many others did they do it to? I get that you need to forgive them, move on, whatever, but you also need to call the cops. That's what's happening in the Catholic Church right now. All of this molestation, all of the cover-ups, all of the forgive them, all of the, oh, move them around, they won't do it again. No. There are things in this world that happen inside of a church that need to go to the police department. They need to be investigated by a FBI. There are bad things that are happening, and by putting a Band-Aid, I'm, I I hope that you you did forgive that teacher, and I also hope that you call 911 and file charges because that, oh, <sighs> I'm, I'm sorry that this happened to you, and I'm sure that the, the forgiveness is genuine, and I hope that you've moved along, and I've, I've hoped there's been restoration in you, but you cannot not report this. What I don't know if I double negative that. I'm sorry. You have to report these things. And there's things like this that happen inside the church that are not getting outside the walls and and but what have you said? Oh, well, don't spread gossip. What if that teacher was one of your teachers inside of your Sunday school? Well, don't spread gossip. Do, oh, just drop them out. Move them out. Don't, don't let them around the children. Put them around high schoolers so they can fight back. No, these are all terrible ideas. There are things that happen that need to be discussed. They need to be absolutely dug out and rooted out and ripped out of the church. These are some of the reasons that people see the church as completely hypocritical because of things like this. Just forgive people and don't gossip and that'll bring about unity. But but what about that person? Should they do time for a crime that they committed? My answer is, yeah. Absolutely it is. And once again, why are you bringing this up in a book called I Am the Church Member that's directed at new members. I don't know if this was the right venue. Maybe you bring it up in every one of your books. You have a ton of books to your name, by the way, Thomas Rayner. Um, a Scrappy Church, Becoming a Welcoming Church, We Want You Here, uh, Who Moved My Pulpit. That's a very cute uh, comparison to Who Moved My Cheese. Very funny, by the way, right? Uh, I will. Uh, autopsy of a deceased church. All right, bro. Um, I'm, I'm going to get this book. I'm not going to lie. I want to read Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. 
um, just be, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but come on. That's, that's, that is sensational. That is, uh, what's that, clickbaity? That's, uh, you got me. All right, you got me with the clickbait. Uh, but I will say, uh, you've probably never been to a real autopsy in your life. Um, so I'm going to compare it to the autopsy that I witnessed. And, um, yeah, it's probably not going to be anywhere near the same. But I get it. It's sensationalism. I love it. Uh, then there's the millennials. Like, back off the millennials. Like, you guys are horrible to the millennials. Just so rude. Uh, transformational church. Simple life. Essential church. Vibrant church. Uh, raising dad simple church the unexpected journey breakout churches the unchurched uh, next door these are all the books that you've written and co-authored these are there are a lot uh the unchurched next door surprising insights from the unchurched uh, eating the elephant okay high expectations um the every church guide to growth the what bridger generation i don't know what that is maybe i should read it they would teach me what the bridger generation is effective evangelistic churches cool uh, church growth encyclopedia experiencing personal revival uh, giant awakening biblical standards for evangelism cool uh the book of church growth and individual evangelism in the 21st century oh you're the editor of that dang dude you get around thomas rayner all right, so I'm sorry that you got molested. I'm assuming that's what it is. Like the teacher had physically abused me. Maybe, maybe physically. You didn't, oh man. Maybe I'm jumping to the worst case scenario. Maybe, maybe that teacher just beat the dog crap out of you. And ha, uh, you and me both. I got beat up by my gym PE teacher. Uh, to be fair, I paralyzed the kid's eye, and then that teacher beat the dog crap out of me. Like, but. Come on, bro. I had that one a coming. <laughs> so I earned that uh, whooping that I got that day. So uh, to be fair, though, yeah, I paralyzed his eye. He had it coming. He was a bad person. Um, all right. Wrapping up this chapter number two. There's a second pledge. I'm a church member. I would seek to be a source of unity. Blah, 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 blah. All right. Chapter three. I will not let my church be about my preferences or desires. Uh, my preference and desire for a church is someone that, like, uh, I mean, I want them to speak truth from the pulpit. I want its members to be, like, kind and loving. I, I want no toxicity. Um, yeah, I mean, we're there to love one another, things like that. So what is it? What did I highlight here? Page 34. You are there to serve others. You are there to give you are there to sacrifice. Once again, where is this book directed at? You're talking about directing it at new members. Why is this not a blanket taught to all church members? Why? Why is it? It's just, oh man, that's not appropriate. So, um... You go on to say some weird stuff. Jesus would go often say things that uh, confounded his listeners. You see, even his disciples had a tendency to fight with one another. On one occasion, the twelve were arguing about who was the greatest. Can you imagine that? The closest followers of Jesus were having a me-first fight. The Bible says that Jesus stopped uh, and sat down and called the, these grown men together. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last, and all 
uh, servant and, and uh, servant of all. Ouch. I would have loved to have been a fly on that cloak and seen their expressions. Is that? I don't get it. Like, I know that I've heard, like, you want to be a fly on the wall, but why a fly on the cloak? I don't get that. Yep, he got this. He got you this time, you self-serving disciples. And then it hits me. That text is for me as well. Okay. Sure. But, like, should this be taught to the new members? Or should it be taught to everybody? I have to keep going back to that, you guys. Uh, where are my next highlights? Um, 36, page 36, we're going, a survey that said a lot. My research team recently conducted a survey of churches that were inwardly focused. So you're interviewing churches that are inwardly focused. That, to me, is not a church. That is probably a cult, but... That's not a church. That's not what Jesus called anyone to do. That's not what he would say a church body is. Like that. So I would say they lose the title of church. Can we do that? Can we take away their nonprofit status if they're inwardly focused? Because I think so. Because you're no longer meeting the the point the of the religion of the faith of the belief of the. If you start focusing inwardly, inward. I don't know if inwardly is a word. If you start focusing inward and you're no longer focused outward, I don't think you're a church anymore. You're you're a cult with a building. My thoughts. Um, so it turns out uh, in our survey, we found 10 dominant behavior patterns of members in these churches. See if you recognize any. All right. Number one, worship wars. Okay. Number two, prolong minutia meetings. Number three, facility focus. Number four, program driven. Number five, inwardly focused budget. Number six, inordinate demands for pastoral care. Uh, number seven, attitudes of entitlement. Number eight, greater concern about change than the gospel. Number nine, anger and hostility. Number 10, evangelistic apathy. Uh, I'm going to make this one up. Number 11, you're no longer a church. I'm pretty sure you just like broke so many rules of what a church actually is. But once again, this book is inappropriately focused on a congregation of people inside of a building. And that like all of this is blown out of the water, though, because I don't think you're longer you're no longer a church, a biblical definition of a church. That's my inappropriate opinion for this title, I guess. Ah. <sighs> And then, let's see, we roll over to chapter, or page 39. It's titled, The Mind of Christ. Blah, 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 blah. What did I highlight? You always ask first what you can do for your church. Rip off. I know you ripped Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. That's a rip off. That was dumb. Um, let's see. We're going on to the third pa pledge on uh, chapter, page 40. So the third pledge, I will be tempting to it. Oh, hold on. Let me restart that. It will be tempting to chew her out, to tell her to let go of her lousy attitude. Sexist. You 
are sexist. Why has it got to be her? Why do you want to chew her out? Why do you want this whole book? By the way, I've seen it over and over. Male, male, male. He, he, he. Male, male, male. Blah, blah, blah. Come to this. Bam. Sexism. You want to chew her out and tell her to let go of her lousy attitude. Sexist. Can't trust you. Why is the entire book geared like towards? Uh, it's a lot of like he, his pronouns. Uh. <laughs> And yet that one little chapter, one, one little paragraph, bam, you go female. You could have put his, her. You could have put, you know, that person's. You could have put, and I'm not even saying like gender. I'm saying, I'm saying, I feel like that was sexist. We rolled into chapter four and it says, I will pray for my church leaders. Yeah, you should. Uh, there's one thing. Pastor Mike walks into the emergency room and it's like, ha, that was pre-COVID. You ain't getting no pastors are getting into the ER anymore. No. It's a one family member. You're not family. Get out. COVID has locked down ERs. How about this? My wife had surgery for her appendix, appendicitis. All right. It was kind of funny. I came home one night. She's laying on the ground. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, take my daughter. I'm not going to say her name. Take her to ballet. She can't miss dance. I'm like, what? No. Like, I need to focus on you. She's like, take her to, she can't miss two weeks in a row. So uh, take my daughter to dance. Go grab my, uh, grab my wife. Uh, take her to the ER. And within like an hour, they have her in, in surgery. Okay. Okay. Uh, they transferred her from one like small like clinical uh, outpatient hospital to a, a big uh, I think it's a level two trauma center um, to actually have like her appendix removed. And when I got there, they were like, "No, bro, she's already in surgery." I'm like, uh, "Am I gonna get to see her?" They said, "No." Yeah, COVID had everything on lockdown, so this pastor is no longer walking into an emergency room to go see a patient. You're you're out of your mind. And then this was just like you were they gave an example was at one after another after another about how your pastor is just getting sidelined and hey you, we need you to come to this ER we got to check out this and oh man um, this person wants to talk to you and my question over this is how big is your church right so then this pastor Mike he meets with two men one of them is the worship leader of the church he is struggling with his ministry and is considering giving up. For two hours, Mike listens, consoles, and attempts to encourage the staff member. Your worship leader is weak. Okay? That's all I can say about that. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know. Are they weak? They're just... I mean, they're, they're putting together worship. And if that's, if that's what they do, if that's their passion, if that's what they do... Why? Is it like... I'm not doing good enough. Uh, I, I don't. I don't understand. I don't know. This whole chapter, just well, the first like two, three pages, just sounded like a lot of boohoo, crybaby, like your pastor's overworked kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Get an associate pastor, I guess. I don't know. And then uh, there was also one that I don't know. Someone's like best friend dies, whatever, and it's like. Uh, this was the first chance Mike had to grieve. This was the worst case sob story or like over two pages, whatever. 
he lists out like this is an average day for a pastor really that is an average day for the pastor someone dies in a car accident you have to deal with your worship leader having a, like a existential crisis and being like their ministry isn't good enough and like okay but then guess what like all of this stuff is listed out and everything and then he says oh the previous story is true oops Okay, yeah, that was like a real day that happened to a pastor, whatever, like that he knew. Ouch. But come on, that's not every day. That's not an average day. That is like a worst case mega disaster scenario. You have just disaster after disaster after disaster. I just, I don't know. I get it. Pray for your pastor. But please don't present stories to me telling me that they're your average day when it's only like one real day in history. And that is some trauma that you got to process, bro. Right. Um, and also, uh, page 46, don't use big words. He is adulated by some and castigated by others. He needs our prayers. Hey, use smaller words. He's lifted up and he's cast down by others. All right. We're talking about the pastor there. So. Uh, you also got to pray for their families. Um, they worry that they neglect their families because of the demands of the church. Yeah, probably. But you should also be, I mean, I, I was always taught it's like God, family, then country. So, man, that's that's tough if you're a pastor, but you're putting even like, ah, oh, man. Maybe you should work on your priorities, but. Yeah, I get it. Definitely, definitely pray, like, for your pastor. But, hey, man, Tom S. Rayner, on page 49, you end up saying, we should not be surprised then when we hear about a pastor's moral failure. We are grieved and heartbroken, but not surprised. Wait, we should not be surprised? But then we are grieved and heartbroken, but not surprised. We should not be surprised, but then we should hear about a pastor's moral failure, but then we are surprised, and we should not be surprised. Like, am I, by the way, am, am I actually like grieved or heartbroken or am I angry that the pastor can't keep it in his pants? I think it's a lot more anger than surprise. And you can't, I mean, I even talked about a double negative earlier. I don't know if I did it. Maybe I did, but we should not be surprised then when we hear about a pastor's moral failure. We are grieved and heartbroken, but not surprised. What? You say one sentence, we should not be surprised in the next, whatever. Your editor should have copped that. Whatever. Fourth pledge. Um, this is, um, I don't like this pledge. I need to actually, I'm going to read the fourth pledge to you here. Like, I am a church member. I will pray for my pastor every day. I understand that the pastor's work is never ending. His days are filled with numerous demands that bring emotional highs and lows. He must deal with the crisis. He must be a good husband and father because my pastor cannot do all things on his own. I will pray for his strength and wisdom daily. I will worship my pastor. I will follow. I will obey. Bah! <laughs> no, I, okay, that, that last part wasn't in there. It doesn't say I will worship my pastor, I will follow, I will obey, whatever. But it does say I will pray for his strength and wisdom daily. I get it. Pray for your pastor. But that's your pledge? That, I have to sign, by the way, I have to sign a pledge that I'm going to pray for my pastor. That's how we sum up the entire I'm a church member, chapter four. I'm going to pray for my pastor. How about, 
uh, how about instead of all the new members pray for the pastor? How about everybody prays for the pastor? That leads us into chapter five, and we're clo- we're we're getting close. We're closing out last last chapter, right? Uh, I will lead my family to be healthy church members. So, um, page fifty six. It goes on. Get excited about church. Get more involved. Discover the imperfections of the church. Get discouraged about the church. Leave the church. So that's kind of funny. If you know that this church like people or whatever it's becoming a revolving door this is where you need to fix the revolving door you don't need to fix the people that are coming in and out through the door like you need to fix the toxicity inside the church not write a book directed at new members that is such a massive like oversight by you to to phrase these things this way and it's (laughs) i don't know it's interesting like so let me let me back up because he does tell a story about like this dude named Bob, right? His name was Bob. He died a few years ago, but he influenced just a few people as he influenced me. This relatively unknown and quiet man changed the world. Bob always seemed to be at church. I understand that some people show up at church every time the doors are open out of guilt or legalistic obligation. Not Bob. He was always joyous, always serving, always kind. You could just tell he loved serving the church. Uh, the same could be said about Bob's wife and two sons. They seemed to love the church and find joy in serving the whole family. The whole family was, uh, well, different. But different in a good kind of way, if you know what I mean. What does that mean? I don't know what you mean. I really don't. Are you saying, like, were they special? Are you saying, are they, you know, Cajun? What are you saying here? I don't, I don't get it. They're special, if you know what I mean. And so Bob took you under his wings. You were 20. Like you had a, you had been married, three kids, and you just become a dad. And oh, no, you were married for three years and you just become a dad. Uh, fatherhood hit you like a ton of bricks. You want to be a good husband, a good dad. And that meant getting involved in a church, really involved. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Bob sees everybody get excited about the church, gets involved, discovers the imperfections, gets discouraged, and they leave the church. Yeah, so what you need to do uh, is change your attitude when you're in this church. You should discover all the imperfections and just deal with it in unity and not say anything and not fix the problem. No, that's toxic, codependent, bullcrap attitude. It's horrible. You know what? Maybe Bob should have wrote this book. I would have loved to have seen what Bob had to say about this. Um, And this is, it goes on, Bob taught some stuff. Um. And if someone did something that disappointed or or frustrated us, that was God's way of telling us to pray for that person. Or that's that person being a dick. It's, It's not. If someone is doing something disappointing or frustrating, that was God's way of telling us to pray for that person. So I could just be a piece of crap and you have to pray for me harder. I think that's what that means. And I don't agree with that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, We should therefore be able to love the seemingly unlovable in our church and sacrifice our mental health while doing it. Just kidding. I made that part up. But why? Why not confront the problem head on and fix it so that we don't create a church with a revolving door? 
Instead, we just don't talk about it, let it fester, pray for that person harder, and never tell them, you're being a dick. You should be able to tell people that. Cut toxic people out of your life, by the way. Just, it's fine. Do it. Through Bob's patient biblical teaching, I learned to love the local church. You mean people in your building. You mean the congregation. You don't mean the church. The local church, what what does that mean? Like, you mean the people inside the building in which you're at. That's not the church. Let's roll it out. Let's go. 59. 59. Page 59. These pages, remind passages, remind us that uh, just as we are supposed to sacrifice and love our families unconditionally, so are we to love those church, uh, the those churches where God has placed us. Okay. That's not a bad lesson. Uh, they did learn, however, to love people unconditionally, and in doing so, they learned to love the church. Um yeah, love, but guard your heart. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, page 61. Like the missionary who travels thousands of miles to tell the good news to unevangelized people, this church member is to tell the good news in his or her own home. Um, yeah, because that's the same. Because it's not in any way, shape, or form. The m- missionary that's going out and like, what? pulling teeth in Africa, right? And telling about Jesus, that that's not the same as you like inside your home raising your children. Like that mm. um something else that came up, it was more times than not uh the believing spouse is the wife. What they're talking about is like statistical data shows that like in on church or where Uh, relationships where um, husband and wife one's a Christian one's not it's overwhelmingly the the woman is uh, the the spouse the female is uh, the Christian in the house but anyway we roll into page 62 falling deeply in love with the bride of Christ and it says I am to fall deeply in love with my church no thanks I mean what (laughs) unconditional love means i will continue to fall more deeply in love regardless of the response no it doesn't that's not what unconditional love is um that love it like it's not it's it's so dirty it seems like codependency there unconditional love means i will continue to fall more deeply in love regardless of the response like so that person is absolutely toxic and they're molesting children in your church and i'm just supposed to fall more deeply in love regardless of the response it's pretty pretty bad (sighs) i don't know fifth pledge was stupid um oh man there was a chapter six i will treasure church membership as a gift um So what happens when a country club church member is asked to contribute to the work of the church? What happens if such a member is asked to serve in the nursery for a few weeks? 
What happens if that member is asked to lead a fifth grade Bible study, a uh, boys Bible study class? Um, yeah, but when this also happens, when a member serves in a ministry outside of their gifts and depths of passion, like, um, no, serve, serve within your knowledge, skills and abilities. And yeah, you could stretch, but I, if, if you're going to choke a baby, one, don't have children Two, don't go work in the nursery. Like shake a baby syndrome thing is a real thing where even parents that had that child physically abuse children. And I'm not saying everyone's going to go nuclear, but what I am saying is if, if you don't like kids, don't go into that ministry. You don't just have to serve unconditionally. You, you can serve within your knowledge, skills, and abilities and always stretch and grow. Yeah. I don't know. This is, this whole book is so ridiculous. Like when I, uh, actually joined this church, which is fascinating how much things have changed in six months, because when I joined the church, I was specifically told to not commit to serving the church for six months and to get to know the people in the church. Right. But now instantly like six months, six months, we're teaching this book to our new members class to where it's shut your mouth and serve and give financially. Like that's it. I don't care about your knowledge, skills, abilities, what you could bring to this church, how you could help this church. What? I don't know. What else does he say? He uh, even the book of Revelations has con uh, context uh, context to letters of local churches. Like right? yeah, but Revelation like the book also covers like two thousand years in the future. But so you have an invalid point. Like um. You go on to say the point, it's a Tom S. Rayner. You go on to say that uh, it's a lame and invalid excuse as well. And I say, yeah, that's a lame and invalid excuse to limit your book to just that of the local church, the local building, the local like congregation. Like you, you should have expanded. Um, here's one of the biggest things, page 73, that I, I think I physically got angry at, right? And when we are thankful for something, we have less time and energy to be negative. What the hell did you just write right there? And we, and when we are thankful for something, we have less time and energy to be negative. So, once again, you're telling the new members to shut up, deal with it, serve unconditionally, and when you're thankful for something, you have less time and energy to be negative. You are out of your mind. This book is so inappropriate. <sighs> Healthy church membership means you find your joy in being last instead of seeking your way in being first. Really? That's, that's where I find my joy? And it's healthy? And, like, if you can fix something in your church fix it don't just brush it under the rug don't just think that it's all on you new member to work harder you're the reason why this church is failing never mind the um based on this guy's records that says 66 percent of the church is negative and not doing anything never never mind it's yeah it's you 33 percent that's failing the church instead of by his numbers, the 66% that are worthless piles of crap that write their 
pastor that like if you don't change the music i'm gonna withhold my money like yeah yeah put all that work on 33 percent put all of the the outcome on that 33 this is such a horrible horrible book um my guess is that churches would be a lot healthier if members decided to serve and to be last. With careful consideration to their talents, gift, abilities, and callings. I fixed that sentence for you on page 74, by the way. Right? Um, the sixth pledge. I am a church member. This membership is a gift. When I received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I became a part of the body of Christ. I soon thereafter identified with the local body and was baptized. And now I am humbled and honored to serve and to love others in our church. I pray I will never take my membership for granted, but see it as a gift and an opportunity to serve others and to be part of something so much greater than I or so much greater than any one person or member. Yeah, it sure is a good thing that like uh, the thief on the cross like repented, was taken down, baptized, and then joined a local church and you know served by not gossiping and served with no regard for his like time, talents, and calling. Then and only then, after uh, he raised his kids to love the church, was he put back on that cross before he died. Oh wait, it didn't happen like that. See this. This book is so, so odd. And I'm going to say that this mentality is some of the stuff that contributes to why people hate Christians. Because I think if a non-Christian reads this book and wanted to try to extrapolate data from the church about it, I wouldn't blame them if they hated the church. This, this book, oh. I mean, I know my whole thing is I, I club books. I'm, I'm supposed to, no matter if I love the book, I'm supposed to like hate on it. But this book was super easy to hate on. And yes, there are redeeming qualities about the book. I get your overall perspective and like where you were going with it, what you were trying to accomplish with it. Like I get it, but it's so shallow and narrow these pr problems that you've addressed you've focused you've you've drilled in on it's it's a church-wide problem some of the statistics that uh tom s rayner quoted in here was that it was like 75 percent of baby boomers claim to be like god-fearing christians right and millennials it's something like eight percent or twelve percent something like that claim to be christians and even though Millennials are the largest generation, like by volume, by numbers, like in, throughout history. And yet, um, like the Gen Xers never even talked about. So we had a drop from 75% down to, I don't know, let's just round it out like 10%. We went from 75% down to 10. I'm willing to bet it's more like 8, 8%, right? But you don't even talk about that mid generation. Something catastrophic has happened inside the church in the United States in the last, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years. It's so bizarre and so massive. And yet, with this book, 
all we're trying to touch on or or go into is how a new member should act inside their congregation. But we're not going after the core of this problem. And here's the thing. I don't know what the core problem is. Like the, the church is just, it's weak. It's shallow. There's, I don't know. You hear about like all these moral failures. You hear about churches breaking and continuously becoming new churches. And like they, they get in all these fights. And I get that you're trying to stop that with this book. I get it. I get it. But there's something big. Something catastrophic that nobody is addressing. And I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what the heart of the matter is. I don't know how to get to it. I don't know where it is. I don't know when it came about. I'm not that smart. I haven't figured it out yet. The day I do, I'll scream it from the rooftops, I guess. Scream it into a microphone. I think things like this, this books like this, weaken the church. I think that you're putting undue pressure on new members. And by your numbers, maybe 33% of the church members will read this and be like, you know what? I am going to unify the church. I am going to do better. I am going to serve. I am going to. But, but you put 110% of the workload on how many people? One, two, three, five, ten. Your numbers say, your research said 300. 300 members of each church all the way across America. I guess that's averaged out because that's not factoring the mega churches. But, I mean, one person can't do it all. I get that. But it seems like you're putting everyone as to be that one person. but you're only addressing it to the new people. We need to reshape our focus. We need to clean out the cancer that is inside American churches today. And Thomas S. Hunter, I'm going to get that autopsy of the, of the, what is it? The dying church autopsy of the dead church. What did you say? That was so good. That's such a good title. I cannot wait to do a book review on that one. Come on. The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. That's so good. That's my next book I'm going to pick up, bro. Maybe you know what it is. Maybe maybe you know what that cancer is that's inside of the churches. I hope you do. I hope you do, and I hope I can learn a lot from that book. Uh, but this book I hated <laughs> with all my heart. All right. Thanks, everybody. That was brutal. Uh, I have been sitting in the same place for like an hour and seven minutes and just rambling, ranting, going through a book. Um, yeah, check out the book. I am a church member and you should not be.
by Thomas S. Rayner because they're going to overwork you and they're going to uh, talk about you and gossip about you, but you can't gossip or talk about them or because you have to be a unifying church member and they're not going to like you because you like different music than them and they're, you're of a generation that blah, 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 like all this stuff. No. You should definitely get involved in your local church, guys. Um, I mean, I... I I'm biased, whatever. I spent seven, seven, eight years, seven, seven years as in youth ministry up in Las Vegas. And I mean, I will say it was the greatest time of my life. Um, they, it had ups and downs. It was, it was great though. I mean, I grew, I learned, I, I, I still have friends <laughs> from the youth ministry. And I mean, it's, it's amazing to see like, teenagers grow into becoming adults and like living out their lives and so i mean yeah you should you should definitely get involved in serving your church you should but i still say operate within your knowledge skills and abilities and stretch long story short and maybe that's what this book should have said i am a church member i will serve within my community i will serve within my workforce I will serve within where God has planted me, within my knowledge, skills, and abilities, and I will put him first. And you could say the other rules. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for my pastor. Sure. It doesn't need, really need to be a rule. It's That's just a refocusing of your mind, you know. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to say cut toxic people out of your life. That's, that's easy to say. Um, how about this? If the relationship can't be restored, if, uh, yeah, let me expound upon that idea for a second because it is just kind of popped into my head. You, there are some people, how about this? Not everyone is your best friend. Not everyone is your target audience. Not everyone is your fan. Not everyone should be your spouse. Not everyone is like built the same way. There are things that some people do, some people don't like. Some people like, some people don't. Like, It's just we're so, as a species, we are so eclectic, it's unbelievable. No two people are alike, no two fingerprints, blah, blah, all of our DNA. Like, I mean, we are so astronomically different. And that's good. That's okay. But... There are some people that you're not designed to be friends with. You're, you're not supposed to seek out, and you're not supposed to continually be around. And, yeah, if you cannot restore that relationship, cut it out. Toxic. To cut that toxicity out. If, they're, if it's cancer, if it, I mean, I'm not even going to tell you about Beardy McRacist. Uh, that podcast is coming up soon. Because, hey. There's a guy in my church that I got a problem with. Um, maybe I shouldn't blast him on uh, on on this podcast, though, because that's the thing. I should probably just walk away from him, not the church. Don't get me wrong, because I also don't think that you should approach people to say things about their that they need correction, that they need to fix, like without without being able to say it from love or that you want to see that person change. Um, 
So I'm probably not in the right headspace for that. So maybe I should never mention him. I don't know. Maybe I'll be able to sit down on a podcast with him because I do feel we might have be able to have one fascinating conversation about a topic. Um, I think that's it. Whew, that was an emotional roller coaster. I am a church member, and so should you. Go ahead and pick it up. Thomas S. Rayner. I don't know. You can Amazon it. Goodbye, everybody.